Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome everybody here in Waukesha, and big welcome to everybody on the other side of the camera over in Pewaukee and online, whatever your location. Uh, great to have you with us. I'm so excited uh, that you're uh, here uh, with us uh, today. Before I get started, I want to uh, invite you back next weekend. We're going to begin a brand new series called A Typical. What is typical in America today? A house, a dog, 2.1 kids. But the other thing that's uh, typical and not quite as positive is $38,000 in debt, excluding home uh, mortgage. And so next week, we begin this new series called Atypical, because God has, actually has a lot to say about how to manage our, our finances well and avoid some of that financial uh, stress. And so I want to invite you to come back next weekend and be a great weekend to invite a, a guest, invite a friend, maybe you know somebody who struggles a little bit in this uh, area, it'd be a good opportunity to invite them to get some practical advice on how to it, manage uh, finances uh, well in, in a way that'll just take a huge, uh, huge weight off their shoulders. That's next weekend. This weekend, we're, we're wrapping up this series called uh, the, the Vow. If, if you're new, we've been talking about uh, four vows that can transform our lives. We began the first week talking about the vow of a priority, making God number one in our marriage and in our relationships. And then the second weekend, the vow of uh, partnership, realizing marriage is not about you or me. It's all about we. And then last weekend, uh, Pastor Dave, campus pastor over in Pewaukee, gave really a, a great uh, message on the vow of, of pursuit, uh, continuing to, to date and pursue your spouse. If you missed it, you're going to want to go back and and uh, watch that message. Lots of great uh, wisdom and advice that uh, Dave uh, shared with us. Now, if I'm being transparent, I almost made this a three-vow uh, series because today's vow, the fourth vow, is the vow of passion. Yeah, and uh, here's the marriage vow uh, for today. I vow to be selfless with sex. Yeah, that's what we're talking about today. And I know sex is not a topic that we talk about very often in church. And when you do hear about it, you know, oftentimes it's more in a negative uh, tone. I grew up going to church every Sunday, growing up as a kid, and I remember uh, sometimes hearing this subject talked about in church, and I can summarize all the teaching I heard as a kid with one word, don't. <laughs> yeah, rarely do you hear this subject talked about in a positive way in, in church. A couple weeks ago, somebody asked me if I feel nervous about this message, and I said, yeah, yeah, I, I thought to myself, I'm going to be looking at my notes more um, this uh, weekend, uh, not because I'm reading it to you, but because I'm embarrassed to look at you while I'm talking about this uh, uh, subject. But I, the more I studied and prepared, the more I felt confident and even burdened, burdened that, that we need to talk about this fourth vow. This is, this is very important. Uh, force. But I realize uh, that, that some of you may feel a little uncomfortable uh, talking about hearing a message on this subject in church. And so to, to help us relax uh, today, I, I want us to all say this word uh, out loud together. Everybody, both campuses, say this out loud together on the count of three. All right, ready? One, two, three. Oh, I, I can't believe you said that word, church. <laughs> you should not say that in church. I'm kidding. Um, we need to talk about this because sex is everywhere in our culture today. This is a, a real issue that, that all of us have to deal with in our, in our lives. This is a subject that, that devastates homes and, and relationships. It breaks up marriages. 
It messes with our kids. And it is so accessible because of technology. You know, I read that on average, we pick up our phones, we check our phones 150 times a day. 150 times. And that breaks down to uh, every, every six minutes. Uh, we use our phones so much that uh, many people experience something that's been called a phantom vibration experience. When you are sure you got a text, you know, and so you grab for your phone and you check your phone, but you, you didn't. It's just your brain craving it. We spend a lot of time on our phones and a lot of time online, and much of what is online is, is sexual in nature. One out of four Google searches is sexual in nature. 36% of the internet is pornography. Let that sink in. And it's not just pornography. Dating apps have just exploded in popularity in our culture. Some people use dating apps to quickly locate someone for a casual sexual encounter with no strings attached. I mean, we live in a culture with sexuality all around us. We have options all around us. And so we need to talk about this. We need to talk about God's plan for sex. Here's God's plan. God's not opposed to it. God's not ashamed of it. God is for it. God invented it. I mean, you know, some Christians act like the devil invented it. You know, the devil uh, created it. But God has a patent for it on his wall. And, and, and God wants us to enjoy uh, the gift of sex in our, in our lives. We see this in the uh, beginning of, of the Bible. God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And uh, he, he created Adam, but then he realized that it's not good for Adam to be alone. And so he puts Adam into a deep sleep. He removes one of his ribs and fashioned the woman. And God brings Eve to Adam. But think about this. He brings Eve to her, and she's, she's naked. And I think God probably knew what was going to happen next, right? I mean, God is not against sex. God wants us to have awesome sex. The problem is not that we have a sex drive. The problem is that we let sex drive and we give in to every impulse. And so here's my big idea today. If God gave us sex, then he should govern it. If God gave us the gift of sex, then we should look to him for how to get the most out of this gift. And so what did God say about how to use sex? Well, look at what God said in Genesis chapter 2. This is what he said at the first Uh, marriage ceremony in all of history between Adam and Eve. God said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The word united here literally means uh, glued together, super glued together. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you may remember I said that this, this scripture is not exclusively sexual, but that is definitely included in it because one of the ways that God makes us one in marriage is through the gift of sex. And so God made it pleasurable, but he also made it powerful. And he's telling us that if we leave it in the marriage bed, that's how we get the most out of it. But if we take it out of that arena that God intended for it, that's how we, that's how we end up getting uh, hurt. And so like anything powerful, it needs some boundaries to protect us. I mean, if you go to Home Depot and you buy a, a, a chainsaw, it comes with a manual with all kinds of rules and, and stickers, right? Because they want to protect you. They don't want you to get hurt with that chainsaw. And you don't say, oh, Home Depot doesn't want me to have any fun with that chainsaw. No, you know those rules are in your best interest. They don't want you to cut your arm off. And the same is true about fire. I mean, fire in the fireplace is beautiful. It's warm. 
it, we can use it to cook our, our food, but if that fire gets out of that fireplace, look out. It can burn down your, your house. We need rules to protect us from anything powerful. And that's why God tells us how to use sex, because he wants to help us get the most out of this amazing uh, gift. It's kind of like a pineapple. I brought along a, a, a pineapple. This is just an ordinary pineapple from the uh, grocery store. Uh, and, but when I pulled it out, uh, I didn't hear anybody ooh or ah or gasp. But did you know there was a time in history when it would have blown you away to see one of these with, with your own eyes. You know, back in 1492 when Columbus sailed across the ocean into the uh, New World, he discovered uh, pineapples and brought them back to Europe. Pine pineapples grew in South America. They were transplanted to the Caribbean. But Europeans had never seen a pineapple before, and this fruit amazed them. They, 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 they thought it looked like a, like a big pine cone, but it was juicy on the inside like a golden apple. That's why they called it the pineapple. And everybody in, in Europe went crazy over them. All the royalty and, and you know, people, people of influence, they wanted to get their hands on a pineapple. And so they'd bring them across the ocean on, on uh, ships. At the height of the pineapple craze in Europe, it would cost you, in today's money, it would cost you $8,000 to buy one of these uh, pineapples. The pineapple represented the height of luxury and privilege. It made its way into art and architecture. Take a look at this. This is, a, this is a, called St. Paul's Cathedral in London, designed in the 1600s by Christopher Wren. Look what he put on the top of the uh, 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 St. Paul's Cathedral. Can you see that? A golden pineapple. Europe went crazy over them. Many people couldn't afford to own one. You know what they would do? They would rent one for a day. And they wouldn't eat it, because if you, if you would eat it, you bought it, they would have a viewing party. And at one point in the evening, they'd have their friends over, they would unveil the pineapple, and everybody would ooh and, and ah. And this obsession with pineapples went on for a couple hundred years, but eventually the demand caused people to realize, I can make some money. And pineapple plantations began to pop up on Hawaii, in Hawaii. Dole got into the action. And the steamship made it easier to transport pineapples to, to Europe and get them to people who wanted them. And as the supply went up, the demand went down to the point that today we have uh, pineapple chunks, yeah, in a can. And uh, nobody's really amazed by this. Nobody's really blown away or thrilled uh, by this. this. This is not a symbol of luxury and uh, privilege. And so we went from feeling amazed by this masterpiece to eating chunks out of a generic can of pineapple uh, because what is widely available to everybody is not treasured by anybody and the same is true about sex see what makes the gift of sex so amazing and special is that God made it an ultra guarded experience so that out of all the people in the world, there would be just one person that you would be naked and vulnerable before. God made it an ultra-guarded experience for you to enjoy and treasure. That's God's plan. That's how God intends for you to enjoy this gift in your life. And so what I want to do with my remaining uh, time, I want to talk with you about three lies about sex, three myths about sex our culture tells us uh, to believe in. Maybe some of us have, have believed them. And, and then we're going to wrap up this series 
called the vow. So here's the first lie. Lie number one is that sex is just a physical activity. Our culture says that sex is just biological, it's just a physical act, and as long as you're not reproducing if you don't want to, and as long as it's consensual, then, you know, no big deal. It's just two people coming together to satisfy a physical appetite. But here's what God says in his word. No, no, no. It is actually a very big deal. God says that sex involves you in the deepest possible way. It involves you on the deepest possible level. Uh, Paul says it this way in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact as written in Scripture. The two become one. See, the, the power of sexual activity is, 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 is that you don't just bring your physical body into the experience. You mingle your soul with another person's soul. And in some mysterious way, the two become one. Now, obviously, Adam and Eve didn't become, you know, Siamese twins in the Garden of Eden. And so it's not just a physical union. God's also talking about something invisible that takes place. In other words, sex involves your heart. It involves your mind. It involves your soul. And it changes you. The experience changes you. You don't walk away. You don't walk away the same person as before. You can't glue two things together and then tear them apart and have it be like it never happened before. There's always going to be impact, even if nobody gets pregnant. It does something inside of you in an invisible way. And research affirms this. Uh, not, not, not religious research. Secular research has found that regular porn users and people who have a previous history with lots of partners, they experience higher levels of depression lower levels of physical health. Long-term relationships are more difficult because the instant gratification is so easy for us. And that's why God says, if you leave this gift in the marriage bed, you're going to get so much more out of it. More joy, more pleasure, more oneness. Now, some of you might, might, might push back. Some of you might be thinking, Ben, that, you know, that is so old-fashioned. Old that is so outdated. You know, that is not normal in our, in our culture. Our culture says live together, sleep together before marriage. And that is, that is normal in our culture. But let me ask, how well is normal working? See, God doesn't just want normal for you. God wants the best for you. God wants to help you get the most out of this amazing gift in your life. Which brings us to the second myth, and that is that the scripture offers uh, no helpful teaching on sex in, in, in marriage. People think the Bible is, you know, out of date. It's, it's anti-sex. And so you get married. And, you know, you, you got to figure this area out on your own in your uh, marriage. You know, maybe you need to go out and, you know, buy some books or resources that might help you. Or you could Google for advice or, you know, buy one of those magazines at the checkout at the grocery store. And there are some helpful books and resources. But the Bible gives great advice Great instructions. Let me show you a couple places. And, and uh, this first one might surprise some of you. In the Old Testament, in the uh, book of, uh, of uh, Song of Solomon, also called the Song of Songs, it records a very steamy, I'll call it a steamy conversation between a husband and a wife. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read just a little bit of it. Here's what he says to his wife. Your beauty 
uh, within and without, is absolute, dear lover, close companion. You are tall and supple like the uh, palm tree. And you're probably thinking, well, that's not that sexual. Well, hold on. Okay, he keeps going. And your full breasts are like sweet clusters of dates. I say, I'm going to climb that palm tree. I'm going to caress its fruit. Oh, yes. Your breasts will be clusters of sweet fruit to me. This dude's not messing around, is he? Yeah, and some of you are shocked. Uh, this is in the Bible. Some of you guys are going, I really need to start reading my Bible more. You know, I have not ever memorized scripture, but I'm going to start memorizing scripture today. <laughs> yeah, but all kidding aside, you know, this scripture is not intended to be funny or perverted. This is a picture of uh, the intimacy and pleasure and bonding that God intends for marriage. But so many married couples miss out. I read a a report that said 75% of Christian couples are not experiencing a mutually satisfying sex life. Somebody said it this way, the devil does everything he can to get us to have sex before marriage and everything he can to keep us from having sex after. But God wants you to enjoy this gift in your uh, marriage. And so I want to I I show you some very practical teaching in the uh, New Testament. Take a look at what it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I like how the message version uses updated language in verse 2. It says, uh, sexual drives, Paul says sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Isn't that a great verse? Encouraging verse. We live in a culture where sexuality is everywhere, options are everywhere. But Paul says you have the ability in your marriage to have a balanced and fulfilling sex life. You can do it. And he goes on to tell us how this will happen. He says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Notice, I want you to notice how he starts out with husbands uh, here. Husbands, we need to lead in this area. This isn't about demanding what you want. This is about serving your spouse. Take the attitude, take the attitude of, I want to serve you. And notice how he says that we, that we give our bodies uh, to each other. We give authority to our bodies to each other in, in marriage. The two become one. And you seek to satisfy your spouse. And then Paul goes on to say, uh, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely uh, to prayer. He says, you, the only time you should abstain from uh, regular sex together is if you both decide to take a break uh, for, for, for prayer. You both ag- agree to take a break for, for prayer. Now, uh, we've never done that in, in our marriage. Um, maybe we should. Uh, I don't know anybody that has, has done that. But Paul says it's okay to take a break if you both agree and pray. But then he says this, afterward you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Uh, right away he says, make it regular again. And so I want to highlight three teachings from this uh, scripture for married couples. Here's the first one. Sex should be regular. There should be a frequency and a regularity that you both agree on together. Here's what this means. This means that you never use sex 
as punishment or reward. You don't withhold it. You're generous with each other because that is how God uh, designed it for marriage, to be used in marriage. And so you need to talk about this and, and have a conversation and agree on frequency and regularity. And, you know, it's not a law. It's not set in stone. Life happens. But you need to discuss it and develop a pattern that fits your marriage so that it becomes a natural habit because when it's regular, it helps you become one. Second teaching that we get from the scripture is that sex should be mutually pleasing. Remember what he said? Uh, the verse said, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Again, you need to open up and have a conversation about this in your marriage. How can, how can, how can this be mutually pleasing uh, between us? And uh, that should be a fun conversation to have. I, I listened to a husband and a wife give a talk on this uh, subject. And the uh, husband had this conversation with his wife and, you know, he asked how, can, how, how he could uh, serve her better. And she said that when he serves her outside the bedroom in, in practical ways uh, around, the, uh, around the house, it fuels her feelings of attraction uh, to him. And she gave an example. She said, when you empty the dishwasher, it means a lot. And it uh, fuels my feelings of attraction to you. And so now he empties the dishwasher like three times a day. Yeah, they have very clean dishes. They stay clean, yeah. Sometimes serving each other outside the bedroom, um, sharing activities together, spending time uh, together, it, it fuels the passion inside uh, the bedroom. Here's something else that goes along with serving and, and mutually satisfying. One person should never make the other person do something they are uh, completely uncomfortable uh, with. This is not about demanding what, what you want. This is about uh, taking... Uh, the attitude of a servant. I'm here to serve the other person. And then here's the third teaching from Scripture. Sex is a way to fight temptation. Remember what he said? He said, afterward, uh, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of, of self-control. Now, there's no way to remove every temptation from your spouse. But when your sex life is regular and mutually satisfying, it makes us less vulnerable to temptation. And we live in a culture saturated with sexuality and temptation. We have options all around us. We need to look at our marriage as a great opportunity to protect and help our spouse to fight against temptation. Remember, marriage is ultra-exclusive. No one else can serve these needs for your spouse. I encourage you, have a conversation with your spouse and simply say, how can I serve you better in this area? What can I do? What can I do to, to help us uh, become more one in this uh, area. And if you want to go further on this subject, here's a couple books that I would uh, recommend to you by a Christian uh, psychologist named Dr. Kevin Lehman. Uh, one's called Have a New Sex Life uh, by Friday, and then the other is, is called Sheet Music. And uh, you can purchase these. They're available at uh, Amazon. One more lie that I'm going to talk about. I'll touch on this briefly because I would guess that some of us believe that I've already messed up and there's no hope for me. So many people carry guilt and shame in this area. Maybe today has, maybe it's reminded you of some pain or failure in your life. And maybe you feel like it's too late for me. You know what? That's a lie. Listen, Jesus paid for your sin and my sin. And you're making yourself pay for sin that Jesus already paid for. Doesn't honor God when, when we try to pay for our sin because Jesus has already paid for all of it. Sin is what you did, 
Uh, shame is how you feel about yourself because of what you did. Jesus forgives all your sin and he cleanses all your shame. He makes you a new person with a new future. Your best days are still ahead of you. But, um, so make a decision from this day forward to, to honor God. Uh, you're not going to be perfect, but you're going to make progress. You fall down, you're going to get back up. Well, I hope that uh, this series, I hope this has been helpful for you as an individual. I hope it's been helpful for you in your relationships. We've heard from several couples that uh, this series has been helpful in their marriages. And I want you to hear from one of those couples on video. And then we're going to wrap up this uh, series. Take a look at the screens. I'm Kevin. And I'm Morgan. And we've been going to River Glen for the past three and a half years. So we've been married for about a year and a half now, um, and we've learned a lot in marriage, that's for sure. When we came into marriage, I did some things one way, because I was used to living by myself and being a single person, and he did things the other way. But once we got married, it was like, okay, how are we going to do this together? As a couple, we understood that we weren't going to be perfect people. Conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. You, it's not bad. Conflict is not It's in itself bad but the way that people handle it causes it to be bad. Learning about how each other handles conflict too was an interesting piece because sometimes I like to think about it for a while and so Kevin thought that I just didn't want to talk about it at all, but I just needed that time to um, analyze it and just think inwardly. We've been through Rooted twice now, um, and Rooted has been really awesome in terms of growing us spiritually individually uh, in that, that triangle. Like, because we're growing spiritually and closer together to God, then naturally we're just growing closer together in our marriage, so. We're not always gonna be happy. We're, like, I think joy comes out of a, a healthy marriage, but it's what you put into it. One of our good friends, Ben Rector, who isn't actually one of our friends, but um, he's got a song that says, life is not the mountaintops, it's the walking in between, and I like you walking next to me. Um, so I feel like that's really rang true in our marriage of just like doing fun adventures. And it's super cool both being teachers, we have the summers off, and so these past two summers, we've been able to just legit spend like 24 seven with each other. And lots of people I feel like are, oh, how can you spend that much time with your spouse? And we- But it's awesome. Yeah, like it's just tons of fun. We are selfish human beings, and so we're going to fail um, epically sometimes, but that covenant is still there in that it's not changing, and even though we mess up, like, God still loves us, and God doesn't mess up. Becoming united in marriage with God just creates this, this bond that, like, we are one person, even though we're both unique and we both uh, bring things to marriage that are different, um, like together our marriage is united. And uh, again, it's a mystery. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it's just this whole other level of intimacy of knowing and loving and like yearning for this person that's just completely different from any other relationship. And we also make each other so much better too. We're better yeah. together. Let's give Morgan and Kevin a, a hand. I appreciate them sharing their story.
And I uh, love how God's working in their marriage, and I love how God's working in, in marriages in our, in our church. And uh, since this series is called The Vows, since we talked about four uh, vows, to wrap up the series, I'd like to give uh, married couples uh, the opportunity, I'd like to offer the opportunity to renew your vows with one another. You know, marriage is not based on emotion or, or feeling. It's based on a vow, a commitment to one another and to God. And this series, this is a great opportunity to renew that commitment. And so I want to give you the chance to do that right now, but only if you feel comfortable uh, doing so. And this is for all married couples. This is for couples that are just flying sky high right now and everything seems awesome. And this is also for couples that are like, you know, ready to throw in the towel and need to renew their vows. And for all couples in between. I'm going to ask you in a moment, if uh, you feel comfortable doing this, that uh, both campuses and online, if you would just stand right where you are uh, with your spouse and just look in each other's eyes. And I'm going to lead you in a real simple way to recommit to your spouse. Uh, Marnie and I did this uh, together earlier in the week so that I can focus on you right now. And it was very meaningful uh, for us. If your spouse is not with you right now, I would welcome you. Take out your phone, record these vows, and then you can do this together uh, later on with your spouse. If you're single and you're wondering, okay, what am I supposed to do? I want you to celebrate uh, all the marriages um, in the uh, room. And this is going to be just like at a, at a wedding ceremony. And uh, we need you to be the uh, witnesses. And we're going to cheer for all the marriages in, in just a, a little bit. And so if you're married and if you uh, want to stand and make a commitment uh, to your marriage, uh, go ahead right now and uh, stand up uh, right where you are, online, Pewaukee, Waukesha, stand up. And uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold both hands, and I'm going to give you some words to say. I'm going to start with the husbands and then the wives. I want you to repeat after me, and uh, just like we would do at a wedding. And so husbands, you ready? Look into her eyes and repeat after me. I take you all over again to be my wife. To love you for better or for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health. Till death do us part. I vow to make God my first priority. I vow our marriage will be more about we and less about me. I vow to never stop pursuing you. I vow to be selfless with sex. And wives, if you accept those vows, respond by simply saying, I do. Now wives, it's your turn. Repeat after me. I take you all over again to be my husband, to love you for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. I vow to make God my first priority. I vow our marriage will be more about we and less about me. I vow to never stop pursuing you. I vow to be selfless with sex. 
And husbands, if you accept those vows, respond by simply saying, I do. And husbands, you may kiss your bride. And uh, can we celebrate every person that took those vows? Way to go. That's awesome. You can go ahead and be seated. I am so encouraged by your uh, uh, commitment to one another, your commitment to those uh, vows. Thriving marriages, healthy marriages are a great example to the world of the love of, of Jesus. And so uh, for those of you that uh, made, a, uh, made the vows today or if you will make these uh, vows, we want to give you something to mark this moment. We printed off these uh, certificates. They're on a table at the exit. Pick one of those up on your, on your way out. There's some space here for you to sign, both sign and date. I hope you'll take one. Sign and date it, frame it, and put it, put it up somewhere at home where you will see it as a reminder of what you've agreed to do. Let me pray for us, and then we have uh, one more song. God, uh, thank you for this day. Thank you for a church that doesn't shy away from something that you created. Thank you for a church that wants to get marriage right. I want to pray over every marriage. I know some are probably struggling and just barely hanging on. I pray today will be a moment of, of recommitment where you transform marriages as we take vows before you to put you first, to live a we marriage, and to pursue each other and to understand this gift of sex according to your plan. I pray for every marriage here, for every person who made a commitment, for every single person who wants to be married someday, that they would be prepared and inspired and for all of us to celebrate the commitment of marriage. In Jesus' name, amen.